Welcome uh, to the inaugural uh, podcast of uh, what what we hope to be a weekly podcast. What's our title, Calvin? Uh, our title is More to Come, More uh, to come? and it is the uh, inaugural podcast of Comics World, uh, P- Publishers Weekly's Comics World. And uh, I'm uh, Calvin Reed, Senior News, ed- News Editor at Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World, and I'm joined by... Hi, I'm Heidi McDonald, also the Co-Editor of PW Comics World and the uh, Graphic Novel Reviews Editor for Publishers Weekly. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons, and I'm their podcast producer. And uh, an opinionated, knowledgeable reader comics of comics. Fan. Yes. So we're going to go through uh, a number of topics here and uh, kind of uh, uh, have some exchanges and discussion about, you know, what what we think are some of the interesting things going on in the world of comics uh, this week, um, and hopefully offer some insights and behind the scenes uh, analysis. And we'll start off with uh, what else could we start off with? But uh, the DC reboot. Well, just in case you've been uh, living in a cave without the internet, in which case you're not hearing this podcast, uh, DC has announced that in September they will be relaunching uh, 52 uh, new books, all with number one, including Action, Detective, Superman, Batman, uh, all the old venerable ones, Green Lantern, Flash, Wonder Woman, new books, uh, there's a war book, there's two war books, actually there's a western, they're launching an edge line, that's kind of some dark superheroes, there's JLA Dark, which is... Oh, God. Hellblazer and uh, Super and Team. And they're basically restarting some Dark. of the most famous comics series uh, on the planet. And starting them over, uh, tweaking uh, uniforms, tweaking um, origins. Um, is this a great, a great, bold, inventive move, or is it an act of desperation and craziness? Well, I, I think anytime you do something, this... this um Drastic. I mean, it has to be some level of desperation in it, or at least, you know, nothing left to lose. I mean, we haven't really been made privy to to a lot of the thinking behind it, aside from um, some interviews by some editors talking about how they just wanted to re, you know, reinvent the line and create more excitement. I would say they've certainly ex- uh, succeeded in creating ex- excitement. But they haven't succeeded in boosting sales yet. <laughs> um, the, actually, sales are down with the beginning of Flashpoint. Now, the question, of course, is: Is this a sign that they really did need a reboot? Mm-hmm. That like a major crossover, changing the world event, can't get the sales going, or is it a sign everybody's waiting for what happens next and is not so interested in the comics coming out now as more interested in what happens after the reboot? I think the key to the whole thing that we've seen so far is that a lot of it seems to be cut very much from the same cloth that was uh, they were using uh, before the reboot, uh, or before the what event or the thing, the thing, whatever it is that's happening. Um, so I mean, it's a lot of the same creators. Uh, they have tweaked origins. They're trying to simplify it in a lot of ways. And they're getting rid of some characters, and they're changing them in some ways. They're killing entire planets, aren't they? But they were, I mean, they were facing a... I mean, never have been, I think. They were facing a a comics market that's been, a periodic comics, that's been in decline for years now. Uh, They were also looking at uh, a tangled web of continuity. Um, I would have to think that in a time now where we've got the public expecting a really big film coming out, um, that this... Is certainly going to get people talking about DC, whether or not the the base uh, the base the base fans, the hardcore comics fans, will uh, will will revolt outright over this, and and whether or not it will actually bring in new readers remains to be seen. But as an basically 
an old and somewhat failed uh, superhero comic book reader, I'm pretty much excited by it. I, in a certain way, I sort of feel like I have a chance to kind of re-enter the conversation, uh, which in many ways I, I, I haven't in the last few years. So I, I think a lot of the online conversations have been skewed by existing readers who are uh, kind of being like Cartman. It's like, well, screw you guys. I'm you know, taking my long <laughs> box and going home. <laughs> and, and they're still going to keep reading it. Uh, because people like to see what they're complaining about, I feel. So, you know, if it's got a jumping-on point for some people who, who aren't online complaining, I, I mean, I think there's more of that aspect to it than has been, uh, you know, is obvious from reading online um, commentary. I would play devil's advocate here, because people only buy to complain for so long. Typically, you buy to complain for, like, three or four issues, and you go, screw this, I'm buying a different comic. Not, I'm not buying comics, but I'm buying some other comic that doesn't annoy me. So I think if they manage to pull this off in the next three or four issues after the reboot and make something that really attracts the fans, then I think the old faithful will forgive them to some degree or at least keep buying. Right. But if they can't pull it off in that short a time, then they could lose audience. But we haven't even mentioned what's really revolutionary about this, which is the fact that all the digital versions yeah, are so going actually, to be available point. the same day. That's a great and point. I think the pricing's a little sketchy, but right. What, what, but it's interesting. I mean, they're doing something that the prose world talks about constantly, but never does, and that's bundling print and digital together. Mm -hmm. uh, that's very good. Ultimately, bundling is the way to go. That is, everyone almost agrees with that. It, it, it can't be done as easily in the in the print world, in the prose world rather, uh, generally because of contractual agreements. Uh, it's tougher to kind of bring these two rights together. In this instance, this could be um, uh, pretty revolutionary for the comics industry. Yeah. Comics industry has the advantage of being quasi-monopolistic. <laughs> so they don't need to worry about like people having a contract with Amazon and having agents who know what they're doing. <laughs> well, this is all work for hire. I mean, none of these mm -hmm. books are creator-owned. That's, yeah. you know, that's pretty obvious, so mm -hmm. they don't have to worry about those kind of contracts. Um, you know, the pricing is still... Uh, it structured in such a way that it's not going to definitely impact on comic shop sales. Uh, like, they will be at the same price. It's called price parity in mm -hmm. that the comics will be the same price digitally as in print for the first month. Then mm -hmm. after that, they will yeah, drop yeah. to the to the uh, 99 cent or $1.99 price point. So, well, what um, will be really interesting is what happens when things come out in trade. Will they then do do a trade bundle of digital because a digital trade would be, I think, very valuable in bringing in new readers. Ooh. A digital collection, and you know, one other thing that's really just been touched on that that really has a lot to do with the the book market and this is what about the backlist? What you about know? the backlist? Uh, what about these stories that are now out of continuity that might be some classics? You know, I, I mean, uh, I mean, just for instance, I don't know if this book is in or out of continuity. Uh, Hush, Batman, yeah, Jim uh, sure. Lee, and Jeff. Mm -hmm. I mean, anyone guess what's mm -hmm. in or right. out of continuity so, at this time. It's a perennial seller, um, and I mean, they'd be stupid to, you know, not have that in print. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, Marvel already does all. If I'm not mistaken, they have a back, they have a backlist a, service, a, a huge chunk of its backlist uh, through offers digital access to it. Yes, subscription and access to it. Subscription, yes. or you just go to a Starbucks. I'm not kidding you. You go to Starbucks, <laughs> you sign on, and they have a deal with Marvel that you can use. You can read you it for can, free. You can read the Marvel Digital Unlimited for free as long as you're sitting in the Starbucks. There you go. Yeah. So and in fan, fact, they have a similar deal with prose publishers so, also. Yeah, so fan things, if you're like, I don't know if I want to spend the money on a Marvel Digital Unlimited subscription, 
you should go to Starbucks to see there, if you yeah. like it. Has there been um, any in the pros world? I mean, is there any reaction to that? Is it does it deemed a successful program? Uh, to Starbucks, well, the, the 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 discussion in the pros world is about ways that book book publishers can create opportunities for selling that aren't necessarily attached to the big retailers. Uh, I, I, what you're finding in the pros world <clears throat> uh, is that uh, they're, they're casting a wary eye at their retail partners like Amazon and BNN as they become more and more like publishers. Uh, so you see um, uh, many publishers creating... Well, it's it, or a fear, they see it, a fear the publishers see it as a conflict of image. What, what we're really seeing is, is the disintermediation uh, of the digital era. Yeah. Um, the Internet, uh, that's one of the things it does, is it eliminates the needs for certain levels in, in the business. Uh, in, uh, in the Internet age, publishers are, a, a, are able to sell just as easily as retailers are able to become publishers. Yeah. Uh, so they see this happening, and, we, and with Amazon, of course, we see it happening at an accelerated pace, as they essentially have set themselves up it, to be a New York City trade publisher. I mean, I will say that points to Marvel and DC, it took them a little while to get on board, yeah. but they're doing something that the major publishers, most of them aren't, which is selling their own stuff. That's right. They're, yeah, that's they're right. not absolutely. waiting for somebody else to sell it for them. No, they're selling their own stuff. Absolutely. Even as they obviously have deals with retail partners like like Comixology and and other, but they're setting up their own storefronts. But they're setting yes, but they're setting up their own storefronts as well. Um, <clears throat> so uh, we will see. Publishers are also doing certain things. This website Bookish, for instance, is also another uh, effort to uh, allow people to. Sample tech, uh, sample content, and and purchase it, uh, but it's controlled by, uh, uh, I think it's five or six of the big New York trade publishers. And so, so do they? Are they taking uh, graphic novel or comics input? Um, there may be some. I mean, that's not going to be a major focus of it, but they're, they're, I'm sure they're because all of the big publishers have graphic novels on their well, list. What makes these digital days. sampling with comics very interesting at somewhere like Starbucks, where you know it is all backlist, mm -hmm. is that Unlike a book, a comic is about the right length for you to read, like, three or four, but not a whole trade's worth while you're sitting there drinking I, your coffee. I was going to say, I don't know, mm -hmm. I, I would probably read about four comics and one cup of coffee, but that's my But that's reading. what I meant, yeah. you know, like four mm -hmm. comics, but that's just enough mm -hmm. for you to go, ooh, I want mm -hmm. that trade, or, mm, no, moving on mm -hmm. to the next thing. But it will be interesting to see how DC handles this backlist, and, and, and also, actually, they how they balance it available. out, how they balance out the digital side and the trade side, because at the end of the day, I mean, consumers when they start reading digital, the tendency is to want more digital. That that which does not necessarily mean they won't read print as well, they particularly comics but, fans. But the thing about it is, I mean, comics take up a lot of space. They, they take do. up a lot of space. You would not believe how many comics fans. Uh, well, we I all know, know that. Yes, and everybody, yes, we, believe we do. It. But I mean, I think I think what the the the, the flash boot uh, as uh, some have been calling it, or DC new as others have been calling it. Um, I mean, new this with is, an umlaut. Sometimes yeah, this that's is, especially this fun. is a huge, huge, huge uh, initiative for for both aspects of it, and it's really raised a lot of questions. And September is going to be a very interesting. Time. So what comics do you think, and what questions do you think it's raised? Well, I think the ones we, we just discussed, yeah. I think <laughs> that, that, so yeah. I was just, I was, um, okay, I was just actually going to segue here. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, because yeah. we, yeah. we, yeah. My so, apologies if yeah. I Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to, I was going to go, yeah, so, yeah. um, okay, so, uh, we'll edit all of this. Yeah, we'll just yeah. edit out that part. Um, 
But uh, so definitely going to uh, raise a lot of questions. But uh, while people are still talking about all these uh, comics selling pretty low amounts, um, there was some pretty big news today about it's not really a comic book. It's it's one of those books that a graphic a, work, a graphic work, and it's certainly it, and it's by someone who identifies as a cartoonist. Uh, Jeff Kitty, but they announced the sixth Wimpy Kid book today, Wimpy Kid Cabin Fever, in which the Hefleys are trapped in their house during a blizzard and discover funny things about themselves. Um, and uh, the the initial printing for this book was six million copies, which is an awful lot, isn't it, Calvin? It's uh, extraordinary. It puts him in the um, you know Harry Potter, yeah, Stephen King, you know, yeah, big leagues of yeah. initial printings. Um, uh, and this is uh, the week after um, uh, uh, our colleague, actually, Rachel Deal, wrote a piece about uh, uh, how initial printings in the traditional book uh, industry are becoming sort of meaningless. First of all, publishers don't want to tell you what they are, um, but they don't often include digital sales. And it, they, they were always meaningless, but they've become even more meaningless. Mm-hmm. Because in the old days, which I'm you know, well experienced to talk about, you never really believed first printings anyways. If they sold you 50000 you assumed it meant probably twenty-five. It was really more of an expression of the confidence they have in the book. Because of, re- just for anybody who's listening to this who isn't familiar with the numbers, like the returns. I mean, in a lot of cases, if you printed, you know, three million copies, you got back two million copies. Yeah, that so, could happen. in order to mm-hmm. sell a million copies, you kind of have to print two million copies. Yeah, in, in and, some in some instances, or in that's the, the olden case. ways, that yeah. was the way. And you know, if yeah. you were lucky, like a very yeah. low return rate would be like ten percent. Anything below twenty yeah. percent is fantastic. And then you, of course, speaking of print runs being meaningless, then of course you have the old comic book trick of going, "We've totally sold sold out of our print run." When that means, like, our print run was tiny. Yes. But you never say yeah. that. Well, that's certainly not tiny in the case of Wimpy Kid. No, I mean, with, no. this, with this number, it's really It's amazing. Any the... book will come close to actually selling through the number. It's probably yeah. Wimpy Kid. Um, oh, it uh, sells His through. popularity is just off the hook. Uh, coupled with a movie franchise as well, uh, it's um, pretty you startling. Don't, you don't get any bigger than that. Yeah. I mean, short of Harry Potter or Stephen mm-hmm. King, you're not going to get bigger. Uh, and it apparently has happened to a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. No, That's and you know, good. Jeff, uh, I think we ran the first story, Publishers uh, Weekly mm-hmm. Comics, there we ran go. the first story about Wimpy Kid going. There you so, go. you know, we, we. So we'll take we, a little credit we for it. We do. We take a little credit. <laughs> you know, if you don't get mentioned in Comics Week or Comics World, you really. Um, That's right. Yeah. You'll never blow yeah, up. Yeah, you'll like never that. make it. So Alternately, <laughs> just tell us about yourself and you'll probably be more likely to make it. There you go. But, uh, uh, anyway, a huge success there, and um, you know, definitely a, a book we'll be reading in the fall. Um, Kate, you had mentioned something to us about uh, potential reality shows. What was uh... okay? Background: I'm not talking like Survivor or America's Next Top Model. More along the lines of the um, reality shows that pop up on Discovery Channel or something. You mean like the dog groomer ones or the hairdresser mm-hmm. ones or those weird ones? Mm-hmm. Actually, more like the gun shop ones <laughs> and and the um, the cake bakers who bake things in bizarre shapes. Like I top, think the, like the unusual show. comics yeah. between cakes and guns. That's we, how I see them. Should, should there be a top nerd show? Yeah. Well, no, no, I don't think it's a, it's not really a competition thing. It's a like, hey, look at our quirky small business with, with mm. you know, funky people being cool. A comic shop reality show. That's the idea. Oh. 
there, um, there are actually two uh, competing potential comic shop reality shows in the works. Um, one which is being shopped around from Orlando's huge Eisner-nominated comic shop, uh, A Comic Shop, that's its title, I don't know, man, um, where there's already a quote-unquote sizzle reel online where you can, like, watch, like, seven minutes of intro to the show. And meanwhile, last weekend, Kevin Smith uh, just cast his comic shop reality show at his comic shop in New Jersey, um, which he's claiming will be like, what was it? Um, like Pawn Stars, I think. <laughs> um, which should be very interesting. So it may well be that a comic book reality show is coming to a television near you. Well, what's interesting about that is, is uh, I think you nailed it right with what you said. I mean, a lot of people have said with all these, like, you know, Cake Boss or, you know, Top Chef. I mean, all these competition shows. So when are they going to have America's Next Comic Book Idol? And they did something like that online with... Um, with uh, CBR, Comic Book Resources, did something. But, unfortunately, the reality is, sitting at a desk all day just isn't that... Uh, isn't that <laughs> Scintillating visually for viewers? Com- it's just not that visually <laughs> compelling. And, I mean, the you know, maybe the... the Riffing through the long boxes. Yeah, uh, it's just like the tension <laughs> of watching an artist draw there. for ten hours a day. Like, nobody has really been able to make that turn that into television. Waiting for the new comics well, but the idea, But I think that these two ideas of selling at a comic shop is is great. I mean, a Pawn Stars, uh, that's regular viewing around our household. And, I mean, it is a hilarious show. Um, that just, you know, it's absolutely addictive. Well, I mean, when you think about it, comics are kind of ripe for it because they are frequently independent small businesses. They frequently are are run by very colorful characters, and it's definitely immersed in a subculture, which apparently uh, reality show viewers are not deeply in tune with, but may be interesting. Our fandom, our, our little subculture, will probably show up in people's minds uh, right alongside the people who have 12 children as one of those interesting sides of America <laughs> they know nothing about. Right. But boy, look at the wacky thing they did in the last episode. Well, oddly enough, we, we do sell. have a we do have a, actually a, a story uh, coming up to be published, uh, not about a reality show, but uh, actually a web series, uh, comedy series that it's called Antimatter that actually is set in a comic That's right, shop. Yeah, and uh, while it isn't a reality show, it does um, try to offer a a, a, a sort of satirical uh, impression of um, the reality of working in a comic shop. So. And, uh, you know, just to throw in a plug for a, a comic shop down in Orlando, um, I, I have been there, and uh, the guys who run it, Aaron and Jason, I mean, they already do this series of YouTube videos. Um, it's a fantastic store. It has a great following. I mean, uh, some of the things um, that I've heard of going on there would absolutely make for good reality TV. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think, hey, listen. I think it's 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 time. I think it's time, and um, I hope. And maybe it'll bring more people into comic shops. Yeah, hey, who definitely. Knows? Yeah, yeah, definitely, so. definitely. <laughs> so um, moving right along. So yeah, uh, another thing that's uh, big uh, as we're doing this, uh, we're uh, about to see the opening of Green Lantern, and we're smack mm-hmm. dab in the middle of this year's comic book movie uh, launch. I mean, there, we've already had Thor. Um, 
X-Men First Class, Green Lantern, uh, those are the ones you've heard of. There's also been Priest and uh, Dylan yeah. Dog, which you haven't heard of because they failed miserably. Priest um, actually didn't fail all that miserably. Uh, it's made, it's already made its money back. Uh, uh, Dylan Dog, however. Dylan Dog was like, tanked. It was it a, yeah, it came and went and like a dog in the night. Hopefully it will do better on DVD. Uh, or not. It's supposed to be absolutely awful, so... Um, yeah, but um, still to come, Captain America. Oh, that's right. Yeah, um, which I'm psyched to see. Um, the Smurfs movie is still coming. Oh, that's right. uh, no one is psyched for the Smurfs no movie. Uh, what? What else? And, there's, and not because we yeah. don't like Smurfs. Isn't there a couple others that are coming that I'm spacing on here? I should know, but um, I those I know Captain no, America. Isn't there? There's another one I'm, towards the end of it. There's almost always another. Yeah, one. <laughs> there's, there's, there's what constant. it is I can't remember. It's just either. a constant. So anyway, um, um, well, part of it is I mean. So what have we seen of, here among those at the table here? Well, I've seen Thor. I've only seen Thor. Mm-hmm. I have seen Thor also. Yeah. Uh-huh. As these movies affect the uh, book publishing world they have not been able to have the Watchmen effect. And the Watchmen effect, as we know from two years ago, when the Watchmen movie came out, that it sold... It can be formidable. It sold millions of copies, well, but and, an, of the of the Watchmen graphic novel. Absolutely. Last year, even with a, a movie that was considered a hmm. not a success, like Scott Pilgrim, it sold hundreds of thousands of copies of Scott oh, yeah. Pilgrim. I mean... And, really catapulted and that book so, like, like none of none of these, right, and like none of these three movies have an obvious tie-in, which right. is kind of interesting. Well, Although yeah. Green Lantern DC has well, tried yes. with Green mm-hmm. Lantern to do that, and they released a uh, this is it Secret Origin? What is the name of that um, storyline? Secret Origin. Um, Jeff Johns did a sort of slick rewrite repackaging of Hal Jordan's origin into a single graphic novel a couple mm-hmm. years ago. And they then decided to use this graphic novel and script as part of the basis for the movie. Right. And so DC was really on the ball and repackaged it, and you know, it was like this is the graphic novel yeah. upon which the movie. Well, they based. did. Yes, everybody get out there. Exactly. You know, and they cover did a, with Ryan. They Reynolds. did a photo cover with Ryan Reynolds, which you've mm. never seen from DC before. Mm. And uh, so, I, I mean, mean they made a move. Right. It was. They made a very, very but clear. This is and often the problem, I guess, with, with some superhero movies, is because there isn't a single book that you can identify the film with that that consumers, and particularly new to the to the uh, category consumers can just go in and ask for or see a stack of them piled up in the bookstore. And it doesn't even really need to be a, a direct take for the movie. It just has to be something that a, reader, a viewer of the movie can sit down and read and not feel like this is some completely bizarre, different thing. Which is which is interesting because with X Men First Class, the film which has been really well well received, yes, and it's you know I mean it hasn't been the biggest box office success, but the reviews have been really good, and and you know it sparked a lot of political discussion. Um, but people, Marvel has really gone out of its way uh, to say that if you pick up the X Men First Class trade by uh, Jeff Parker, it has nothing to do with this movie aside from the title. So, I mean, they're, they're trying to kind of have... Yeah. You know, they probably avoid should have thought of that before they gave it the same title. Well, I'm I think the saying. comic came out long before the, yeah. well, the movie. I so. know, but what, that's what well, I... I think when they were now they're worried of, about yeah. disappointing. Right, uh, I, yeah. And, and I mean... It, what it has they, nothing to do with the Whereas, to me, it's like... Uh, like Calvin was saying, I mean, you could at least put together something. But I guess, you know, they didn't have something well, that was set in the in That's the true. Now, I, I will say crisis. this. I mean, uh, DC in the past has put together some really bad tie-ins. I mean, yes, really god-awful tie-ins. They've done it right this and time. And you have to wonder if, you know, maybe... Uh, 
rather than to do that, to, to put together a really bad tie and maybe, you right. know, to do right. nothing might be Let's just try to get idea. I have but I haven't seen I haven't seen what I saw when the last Spider Man movie came out where Marvel went in and picked out which trades of previous storylines they thought would appeal to people who had just seen the Spider Man movie. And you know, you went to Barnes and Noble, you went to Borders, you went to major bookstores and you'd have a table. A Spider Man table with the which first had specific Iron Man type movie? they did it with Iron Man. They yes. did do it with Iron Man. Yes. And they did it to great success with Iron Man. Yeah. The the sales of the first Iron Man trades of, of you know in a demon in a bottle did great. Yeah. Um and probably uh, the Ultimate Iron Man would have done great if Ultimate Iron Man didn't have nothing well, to do with I, Iron Man. I think what's important to look at there is that Marvel has changed their distributors, uh, book distributors, yeah. since those came out. They were with Diamond, and now they're with um, Hachette. Hachette. So, which has a, probably has a different kind of um, a rollout for that. And, I, I mean, I know Marvel... Uh, it, you know, they've had some success with it, uh, but it, it isn't a priority for them. And with Thor, interestingly enough... Um, I've the, seen Thor stuff all over, though. But the biggest sales success has been that big omnibus of the Walt mm. Simonson stuff, which sells for like $100. I mean, that's been on mm. Amazon's bestseller list. It's on the mm. New York Times bestseller list. So, Which is kind of shocking, given the price point. It, it, I mean, I yeah. would have thought they would have had a different printing of the same material in paperback just to cash in. Um, and but you know, it very often is it is pricey special editions yeah, you, that do well. Yeah, in uh, you particularly want to be under these, under yeah, exactly, particularly under these. Which isn't to say that a, that a um, lower price point wouldn't have worked. But you know, but I mean, I just thought that might have been a little too special. The value is there, and it's connected to an event. That, you know, a book like that can do well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, um, and uh, I don't know if Priest or Dylan Dog have had any effect whatsoever. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, it, it wouldn't help the Tokyo Pop much, no, even because, if it did. Because the publisher of the book in English has gone out of business. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think the, fans would be hard-pressed to even get a copy. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, if I were... You may be able to get a copy in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, anyway, uh, there's definitely more to come on comic book movies. That's for sure. So, more to come. More to, to come. come. Um, speaking of current events in comics and broad appeal... Uh, the situation with uh, female creators at DC after the reboot kind of sketchy. Uh, there, out of fifty-two creative teams, there are only two women out of like over a hundred creators, which is far, far lower percentages than usual, even for DC. I mean, like all of the major female creators, except for. Gail Simone are just not showing up yeah. on their radar. You at know, there's all. been a, a, a little bit of a. I mean, sometimes some people say it's three because I think Jenny Frizen was doing some covers for them. So covers, uh, like, oh, right? So they have like Gail Simone and uh, um, Amy Reader. Amy Reader was going to do Batwoman. So uh, yeah, and it's a pretty low. Well, you know, uh, I, I, I mean, lower than talking, usual. Talk, yeah, people have been talking about how some other prominent uh, female creators like Amanda Connor are doing something for the next wave. I mean, you know, the reality with the Flash boot is there's going to be a lot of mid-season replacements, and DC is already stocking up. on Well, those. I mean, it's just really interesting though that they're talking about you know a, a fresh start and a a new direction, and they're very prominently placing female characters in a way that a lot of women are liking. And yet they're keeping the same guys. It seems and odd. It, it seems odd and it's just, short-sighted. It's but just a little it, unusual. Once again, you know, it's as Heidi little... said, um, 
hopefully, anyway, that that situation can change. But I, I mean, you know, it's. I, I think but this it is part. A, I think it's really more continues. of a reflection of the um, of the skepticism that some people have about the whole uh, relaunch of DC is that they're trying to get in new readers and they're trying to, you know, create a whole new mm. world. And they're doing it with the same people, mostly men, mm. uh, but I mean, mostly they, straight white men who were doing mm. it before. And, uh, and it's really, actually less diverse than right, it was right, before, right, creator-wise. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. What I mean, have I'm just we saying, heard about, uh, because we've heard very little, uh, about the original graphic novels? Yeah, I think they... There seems to there's be been nothing. Or no, no there's, there's information not, there's, at all. There's very little. Well, we, I mean, we have a lot of questions about the mm-hmm. whole thing, and I, I, I think... Really, the, the the low number of women just reflects the reality uh, at a you know superhero modern superhero publishers and I mean there's no, been a I mean, lot it's, of talk it's lower about than usual right I mean, it's I, a lot lower right, than usual right but well it is but I think if you looked at it's not I mean yeah it's lower than usual like it's double there's usually four women doing stuff for, no, for it's, DC it's more than that and there's not that many women doing stuff for DC month in and month out or for Marvel for that matter so I mean I think it's just business as usual and uh, it's, it is short sighted and um, you know I, I think if you're looking outside the superhero market there's t- you know the two biggest graphic novels of the last decade were Persepolis and Fun Home well, and yeah, both by I women mean, but so, I mean, that's that means that, that's the great that there are Plenty yeah. of women who actually yeah. do want to work in superhero comics and do work in it from time to time. And are it's not that like DC and Marvel are like, oh, you're not good enough. I mean, they well, publish like, them and they're good and they've sold. Yes, but they once again they continue to sort of like give them the backhand. I mean, yeah, but I mean, I, think, I, mean, I, think but I don't mean that. But, but, I, but I think unless you know what I mean, I it, it's 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 really shameful. And I think unless yeah. you have Dan DiDio and Jim Lee in the room here with us, I mean, it's, yeah. there's not much more to do yeah. than to say it's shameful. And and as you said, the great irony is that when you look beyond the superhero category, this is a you could say a golden era for women cartoons. Absolutely, well, everywhere, there are everywhere so much else. talent. Everywhere else, exploding you everywhere. It's, you know, well, so we'll, 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 we will be returning to this but, topic but, many times. All I was going to say so is it's interesting because on. you would have thought they might have maybe since they're trying to get new readers and women are readers, but well, I right. there, I think there's a lot of lot of things that they could have done if they wanted to do readers, and that's just really a symptom. It's not even the um, you know I mean there's still. A lot of entrenched thinking, and um, hopefully this is just the beginning of breaking loose with it. So, all right. So moving on, and I think this is uh, our, our oh, last yes. category. So yes. last category, last books we're, you we're guys are gonna, looking forward to. Yeah, we're just gonna we'll we'll run down uh, some of the titles we see on the horizon, and there there's some really spectacular stuff, mm. stuff that's just out in the marketplace as well as uh, because, that will be out. As, uh, one of the advantages that Calvin and I and Kate have here at PW, uh, Publishers Weekly, is that we do get advanced books, so we'll be talking about some books that are coming up that we are able to read right now that you aren't, and uh, we're not hoping to make you jealous, only maybe a little bit. We're really just hoping to say, here's some cool stuff coming out. That's it. <laughs> so, um, right off the bat, we're going to hit, um, uh, you've probably heard, this is just out but it's the influencing machine, um, a, uh, a, a, a serious nonfiction um, graphic work of, of graphic nonfiction by Brooke Gladstone, the the longtime uh, co-host on uh, NPR's On the Media, uh, done in collaboration with uh, Josh Newfeld, the, uh, the creator of the uh, the acclaimed uh, work of graphic nonfiction, um, uh, eighty New Orleans after the Deluge. Uh, his look at the uh, uh, at five survivors uh, of uh, ho- hotel of hotel of Hurricane Katrina, 
and the flooding of New Orleans. Hotel um, Katrina. Yeah, Hotel Katrina. Um, uh, they, uh, uh, oh, those cockroaches. Gla- yes. Uh, yeah, uh, Gladstone and Newfield worked together uh, basically to create a history of journalism and the media in the form of comics. Uh, it's uh, a, um, a Gladstone gives you a huge arc of history as well as focuses on many of the uh, contemporary issues going on in uh, journalism today as well as, as how journalism is changing um, as it transitions to digital media. Um, we've also uh, just got galleys in to MetaMouse, the uh, rather extraordinary um, look at the making of Art Spiegelman's really classic work of serious nonfiction about the Holocaust, um, Mouse. Um, that, I believe, is going to be published in October of this year. Uh, and it was Can done we take a look in inside? Cabo, yeah, well, I wanted to see who was, he worked along with some people on this, but I don't see it right off the bat. Um, so it's, it's really not so much graphic novel as um, a book about graphic it's novel a book about, with a lot of illustrations yeah. and chunks from the novel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so it's on. really a work that looks at the making of, the, of, of a classic. Um, uh, also, um, in a really actually unusual release, uh, Harper Perennial is actually bringing out um, a graphic novel that was really way ahead of its time. Um, I believe the, uh, Keith Mayerson uh, did an adaptation of Dennis Cooper's novel Horror Hospital, and it turned into a graphic novel called Horror Hospital Unplugged. Um, and this was published in the 90s, and I believe we reviewed it at the time, gave it a rave review. It's been out of print for years. Uh, Myerson now teaches at SVA. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harper has, is bringing the book back into print. So um, it w- uh, he brought together different drawing styles, in, in including in a really imp- uh, um, uh, an impressive influence of manga on his work, way before we were seeing that in mainstream comics and it was um, really 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 an impressive book so it'll be really interesting to see this book back in the marketplace again and the very last thing I want to mention is a, a another work of, of nonfiction Who is Anna Mendiata uh, by Christine Redfern and, and Carol Karen Who from, is Anna Mendiata? Coming from Feminist Press Anna Mendiata uh, was a really fascinating personality she was um, a feminist artist who produced work in uh, in New York in the uh, in the eighties and the nineties? Uh, she died mysteriously in the late nineties in um, uh, an event that, depending on your point of view, was a suicide or a murder. She was married at the time to Carl Andre, a very famous and very successful uh, contemporary artist, uh, very famous uh, art, uh, artist, conceptual artist, uh, who was actually tried for her murder and acquitted. Uh, there was um, a, a book written on this, but this book uh, uh, looks to bring our attention back to her work. She was a fascinating artist uh, who uh, died way too young, and it takes a look at her influences, her careers, and her relationship uh, with Carl Andre. Uh, and good. to make clear, while that half of it is text, the other half is comic and um, sort of a very funky, arty-looking comic with... Well, that looks sort of 80s. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's, that's actually by Christine Redfern and Carol Karen, who yeah. are probably not known too much in the graphic novel. So uh, a very yeah. eclectic mix. Um, I wanted to mention a few books coming up from Top Shelf later this year. Uh, they always have a dynamic line. And, uh, you know, they have their kids' club. They're doing a lot of kids' books. There's a new book from Corgi, which 
when Corgi comes in, we just ooh and all over it because it's so <laughs> yes. cute. Um, they have uh, some more books by um, James Kachalka and also by Ray Friesen with Pirate Penguin versus Ninja Chicken. Um, for the older readers, uh, Lucille, and I know I'm going to oh, yes. uh, pronounce his name wrong, Ludovic de Boom, but uh, this is an amazing French book that it's, it's kind of in that coming of age um, genre of, t- of two young people who are having a relationship and, and you know really questioning things, but it's really touching. It's in this very simple, direct, beautiful style. It's just, and it, it, it's it's a fantastic, very it's, very I think touching. Think it's Stop first license. Yeah, I, I think uh, so. Yeah, I, I, yeah. And um, another book that's coming out from them is Chester Five Thousand by Jessica Fink, which is an erotic comic about a robot that does erotic things. Um, but you know, it's a really funny, sexy comic, and it is very sexy. It's definitely um, adults only. Uh, and uh, let's see what else. Oh, this is my favorite, Infinite Kung Fu by Kagan McLeod. This oh, is yeah. Kagan is like so one of the top this. illustrators. Now he's really well known, and he's got this 600-page magnum opus of kung fu fighting. That's that's just an epic. And again, there's 600 pages of it. I think about 200 of them are online that you can read right now. It's just beautiful, amazing, amazing cartooning. Um, also, Any Empire by Nate Powell. Nate Powell uh, won the Eisner Award for Swallow Me Hall, which is about. Um, mental illness, and this is a new one that's about violence. It's about kids who are uh, obsessed with GI Joe and playing war games, and um, and and a mystery that unfolds. And uh, when they're older, they go to war, and their attitudes are challenged. And Nate Powell is a really, really good cartoonist. Yeah. He really is is great at dealing with issues like this. And uh, finally, just one more: Hutch Owen. By Tom Hart, uh, coming out much later this year. But oh, I love Hutch Owen. It's just like, one of the great alternative characters uh, from comics. So a why classic. do you funny Hutch Owen so and much? smart? Funny and because he's uh, like just the greatest character. He is, you know, uh, he. Uh, it says he's he's outraged. He's not going to take it anymore, and he's not quite sure what to do next. Yeah, he yeah. just he's an everyman. He's, he's an angry us. everyman yes. who we can all laugh at and recognize so um, wow it looks like we've actually come to the end of our first more to come but rest assured there's more to come there's more to come and uh, you'll be able to hear it right here on uh, more to come uh, PW Comics World's uh, uh, new new podcast Uh, thanks for uh, listening thank you